Hey, Maka. Hey, Strudy. Coming to you via Zoom for episode 39 of Sports and Spit. This is the social distancing version of Sports and Spit. But it does come with its benefits because on episode 39, we were lucky enough to have a nice in-depth chat with Chad Tanzen from the Cronulla Sharks. Yeah, it was a fantastic discussion. He was a, 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 a guy who plays first grade football. He's a Cronulla junior and he was, he was gracious enough to give us his time, mate. It was a fantastic discussion, I thought. Yeah, so we covered a lot of things during this episode, which uh, a lot of you guys should and will find interesting. Um, we started out by talking about the current situation with this uh, coronavirus and uh, coronavirus and, and how it's um, impacting the NRL. Um, so we, we quizzed Chad on on sort of you know what he's been up to, what NRL NRL players in general have been doing, um, how the the current pay dispute uh, is affecting players, and any sort of um, you know scenarios where the season can continue. Yeah, it was great. And then um, he gave us a pretty good insight into what, what it's like as a professional athlete, not just in these times, but in any particular time where social media is a big part of your life and how you handle that. And gave us some really good insights, Streety, I thought, into the 2016 Sharks run to the grand final, mate. I yeah, and um, loved, of know. course, yeah, I, I particularly enjoyed that. And for Chad, it wasn't all roses. You know, there were situations where he was sub- subbed in a game and he spoke candidly about uh, about that about how that played out, his thoughts, you know, or and I guess his emotions during that uh, game, and obviously in the in the days afterwards, you know, and how how he dealt with that sort of adversity, and and obviously how he he bounced back from it. He did, mate, and it was a great listen. And uh, look, I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. Yeah. So without further ado, here's Chad Townsend from the Cronulla Sharks. Thanks for having me, fellas. Chad and I were just talking about basically how he's holding up under these current circumstances. Everyone's working from home and I just wanted to know what it was like for an NRL player to be trying to work from home with a couple of young kids as well. Yeah, look, it is, um, it is I guess, the current situation. Never thought that anything like this would happen, to be honest. But um, just trying to make the most of the situation. I feel like it's still an opportunity for me to, you know, uh, get some stuff done that I need to get done. And by that, I mean... You know, still stay on a schedule and stay busy and, and keep my training regime up uh, as if I was still playing. And also I've had some time to, like you said, hang out with my two kids. I've got a two-year-old daughter and a five-month-old son and, and my wife, and they keep me pretty busy as well. So just trying to hang out with them and also do a bit of painting and, and some odd jobs around the house as well. Chad, during um, a typical sort of when the season's on, um, in terms of, say, uh, time at, at training and do, doing the stuff at, uh, with the club, how much sort of time would you have during the week um, at home? Oh, look, yeah, it, it varies uh, what time of the year it is. Like uh, pre-season, pretty much no time. Uh, we train six days a week and, and some pretty long days. But then in season, we usually get uh, at least one Oh, sorry, at least two days off. So obviously, you know, we play on the weekend, so we kind of lose our weekend. So um, usually two days before the game, we get fully off and that's for, I guess, recovery. And, and then usually after a game as well. So uh, I'm, like I said, I'm trying to make the most of the time I've got at the moment by doing stuff around the house because if we're still playing right now, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way I'd be able to do it. Exactly, yeah. I guess that's what tradesmen are for, aren't they? <laughs> Definitely. And Chad, are, are, there, are you two kids and, and your wife joining you, mate, in that, those workouts from home? I know that my fridge door's probably got the best workout since um, I've started working from home, mate, but are they keeping you honest as well? 
Yeah, look, my um, my wife actually just did a session in the garage before, and and I, I took the kids for a walk around the block, and then I, I got back home, and then my daughter was jumping in and finished off the session with my wife, just copying her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, still trying to stay busy and stay fit because uh, I think you know that's obviously important for myself as a as a professional athlete, but then also I guess for everyone out there for their mental well-being as well. Just trying to you know stay consistent with your workouts. Yeah, it's a good point, mate. You mentioned um, recently, I think, just as the footy kind of stopped, that um, you were a little bit worried about the mental health of some of the young blokes in the squad. Um, you're obviously pretty big advocate for, for them kind of staying in touch. Are you, are you able to stay in touch with many of your teammates and those young guys who are in lockdown as well? Yeah, look, I was actually pretty vocal on that that topic uh, because we've we've got a lot of young players and a lot of I guess you know uh, you could probably call them fringe first graders and I guess the general public the general public sorry just think that uh, an NRL player earns a million dollars and they live this lavish lifestyle but you know that's not the case of every NRL player and there are a lot of young guys on minimum wages who are living paycheck to paycheck and really struggling especially in Sydney the cost of living in Sydney is crazy so for us it's important mm. to make sure that we stay connected and reach out we've got a big group chat together on the whatsapp and and actually later on this afternoon I've got a um a video call with about six of the younger boys and myself just to sort of check in and, and catch up with each other and it's something our leadership group has been doing as well Chad, just uh, just on that uh, the, the pay reduction agreement um do the players negotiate with the players' union or is that a direct sort of NRL to club thing? How, how's that sort of situation evolving and has, the, has there been a resolution to that at this point? Yeah, look, there's a deal's been done with the players on behalf or with the RLPA on behalf of the players and the NRL and the clubs. Uh, it was kind of a bit of a long process, but um, I think that we got there in the end and the fact that... Uh, we've got a genuine partnership with the players and the NRL, so that's super important. Todd Greenberg is is definitely on the same page as, as us, and that's what we want, you know, to, to together to move forward. Um, you know, hopefully we can get some games back sooner rather than later because it's it's in the best interest of everyone that we, we get back to playing games. But um, you know, the, the deal's being done, and and now that you know we know what's what's ahead, we can hopefully move forward. So if the NRL season was to resume. Um, obviously, with, with with time remaining, is there any type of format um, that you'd like to see sort of take place? Yeah, look, I think uh, it's an interesting one. There's obviously been a lot of uh, ideas tossed up, and um, I've liked a few of them. I, I, from what I understand, teams will need to be in some form of quarantine in terms of uh, in some areas, whether that's in New South Wales or Queensland, or I know that the AFL has spoken about Tasmania, so. Um, but then I've also heard, you know, two conferences and, and things like that. So I think with this season, it's a chance for the NRL to potentially experiment a few things. And if they need to create two conferences uh, and see how that goes. Um, but like I said, it's, it's in the best interest of everyone that we start playing games. And for me personally, I don't care what we do. I don't care where we play. I don't care what state it's in, as long as we just can play games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was yeah. reading, sorry, Macca, an article, a story on Wade Graham um, talking about he, same thing, he's pretty much prepared to play anywhere. Uh, has there been a lot of consideration or even a bit of um, hesitation from players with families, you know, um, 
whether or not they would be prepared to sort of self-isolate or, or basically go into quarantine away from their family for a period of time if you guys came to an agreement where you would go stay at Tangaluma or, you know, somewhere in Queensland or, you know, basically a camp-type situation. Um, has, has there been a bit of pushback to that scenario? Yeah, look, uh, from the conversations I've had with a number of my teammates, uh, there's not been one person pushed back on the idea. And, and obviously circumstances that we do move away will present challenges and you know obviously living away from my family it'll be you know terribly hard but for me to be able to go and play and if I have to go and move away for a few months but it means I can uh, support my family and you know I've got bills to pay as well I've got a yeah. mortgage and, uh, and etc yeah. so uh, for all of us uh, we're just like everyone else you know we just want to get back to work as quickly as possible and um, all the players you know are definitely on board and, and back you know whatever decisions made that we can get back playing yeah, um, I suppose it all depends on, on, on how much time we, we'd have left uh, before the season would be scheduled to resume. And if it did go later into the year, let's just say, you know, things um, sort of, you know, ch chug along as they are at the moment and a season can't realistically start, you know, there'd be a few logistics would need to happen. A scenario that we floated on the show uh, on the previous episode was uh, the NRL having like a... Um, uh, college basketball sort of NCAA tournament format where we'd have the, the 16 teams um, ranked one through 16 based on the current uh, ladder standings and then over the period of four or five weeks um, have a tournament, a, a knockout tournament uh, and then with, with winners progressing from a 16-8-4 and then you can sort of culminate with a with grand final uh, sort of scenario and maybe even play your two conferences and have have a final at either Bankwest or, or um, Suncorp or something like that. Um, that was sort of a particular format with, within a short period of time, you know, if, if the season looks like it would maybe commence in August or, or late July or something like that, that uh, it could work. And I think from a TV point of view, that would generate a lot of excitement just for a short period of time. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's interesting, obviously, you know, the March Badness concept. I, I love my college basketball um, but also it's got, you know, a little bit of a challenge cup feel that uh, the, the Super League do. And I think, you know, if you're talking about obviously a small amount of weeks, potentially, you know, something like six weeks at the end of the year and there's been no footy and, um, you know, that, yeah, I think it sounds like a great idea. And, and how long sort of in terms of like a, a mini pre-season, because um, obviously there'd be some degree of preparation you guys would need in order to get ready to, to get back into full physical contact. What would be the sort of shortest period of time you'd require in order to, to get ready to start playing? Yeah, look, this has already been uh, spoken about between the RLPA and the NRL, and the number's been nailed down to four weeks preparation. So uh, from what I understand, this project Apollo is, is in place at the moment to try and work to get uh, games back as soon as possible. And, and once they can kind of lock in a date, then we'll be able to get some more clarity around when we can get back to training and, and that number, yeah, is four weeks. But um, all of our all of our uh, players at Sharks at the moment are, are on our programs, and, and we're still training, you know, really hard and making sure that we're in we're in good shape to get back and get ready as soon as possible. Yeah, excellent, cool. Well, fingers crossed that the footy starts. How does that? You're saying everyone's on a program. How does that look for you guys on a daily basis, mate? Do you have to check in with your with your training staff? I know a lot of people throughout the footy clubs have probably been stood down, but What's what's the level of contact that you're having with the club about your progress through that training plan, mate? 
Yeah, look, uh, quite a bit actually. We're actually we're on a app at the moment called Bridge, and that's been set up by our head of physical performance, who pretty much flicks through every single one of our uh, training programs on the app. So also on the app is things like uh, physical and mental well-being. So you log into the app and straight away you you fill out a bit of a survey on how you're feeling, how you slept, stress, anxiety. Um, how's your body feeling, hamstrings, quads, mm. you know, yeah. um, that way, you know, you can fill that in. Uh, that goes straight to our head of performance. Then you go into your training program. So uh, yesterday, for example, for me was uh, running with a bit of agility, speed and a little bit of conditioning at the, at the end and then uh, some upper body weight. So I was able to, to log into my app and, and, and do all that from, from my phone and, and in isolation. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's good that then you can still get it kind of tailored to what your progress has been and what maybe your body's doing throughout all of this as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. And then also our, our head of performance has also been on the boys about sending in some photos and some videos of us lifting as well. So uh, a lot yeah. of the boys have been sending in some photos of them doing curls in the gym or, you know, uh, <laughs> hang clean, checking in on, on technique and things like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, we're staying on it and we're just trying to take a positive out of obviously the, the bad situation that we're all in. You guys ever get, get together and do like a Zoom workout to pump each other up, mate, to keep each other going? <laughs> Go, Come on, mate, what are you doing? You're not doing it that hard. Come on. Yeah, we haven't done that yet, but uh, our coach actually put on our chat the other day that he's thinking about chucking out a, a Friday challenge for everyone. Um, yeah. So that's, he's, mate, he'd probably beat all of us, to be honest. John Morris, he's oh. one of the fittest um, well, I've ever seen. So. Yes. May we, so just as an aside to that story, I know John Morris not that well, but he went to university up here and I, mate, I've seen him work out at the local university gym when he was much younger, but he can hold his own, mate. He'd still go pretty well, I would suggest. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be challenging him myself, but good luck if you are. Who'd be the, um, the most likeliest of the playing group to uh, dress up in an 80s kit, uh, some tight clothes and, and get in front of a camera and do an unashamed workout? I'm sure you may have seen that viral video of the, uh, the, the fella doing the aerobics that's going around at the moment. Who's, um, who's yeah. the most likeliest to, to be that guy? Yeah, look, it, uh, probably Toby Rudolph. He's been putting up a few funny videos of himself dancing around. But actually, it wasn't that long ago, our last uh, day of training before we split up for the Christmas holidays, we are all in the gym wearing tight and bright. And there's a, there was a few photos going around of everyone. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit Nothing of fun. Better. and also, Yeah, it's, it's a bit of fun. And it brings the boys together as well. Yeah, I guess my, my, I had a question here. Where it was, what do you think is most paramount at the moment uh, for the players' health and well-being? during this period and, and you probably just answered it there just you know that sense of togetherness and being able to share a laugh and, and have a bit of a theme day because there's obviously going to be periods uh not only for yourself but other players and maybe those uh, younger fellas who have only been playing footy for a couple of seasons who you know have gone straight from us from school into the junior rep program and straight into their first job as a footy player so this kind of um the situation is, uh, is, is probably maybe for those guys um, the hardest to deal with or for, for them? Yeah, I definitely. I think it's just the, um, the uncertainty about what the future holds. And, and I think, you know, for me personally, like I could admit that it, it took a little bit of a toll on me in terms of the uncertainty. I, I found myself, I wasn't uh, sleeping as well when all this stuff first happened and, and just thinking about, you know, scenarios. And for me, 
uh, personally, like I've had conversations with my wife about just preparing for worst case scenario. Obviously, we're, we're hoping for the best that we can get back on the field and get back to playing games. But just to be ready for, you know, if, if we were not to worst case scenario, um, how do we look like if we're not getting paid? Yeah. Um, you know, having conversations with our accountant, our financial planner, um, you know, really just, you know, being proactive about, you know, our whole, our whole lives, basically. Yeah. How does the NRL pay cycle work? Is it a 52-week every fortnight pay or does it, does it differ? And is it just like within season or...? Yeah, look, our contracts go from November 1 till October 30. So yeah. that's the NRL season. And then NRL players, we get paid at the end of every month. So okay. um, obviously, uh, we go back to tr- pre-season training sometime in November, depending on how far you've gone into the semifinals. And then obviously, the grand finals, you know, usually pretty early October. So uh, we get uh, about eight weeks off uh, completely if you've done over six pre-seasons and if you've done less than six pre-seasons you get six weeks off so um yeah that's pretty much the gist of it yeah right um some questions just for uh i guess some general stuff for the fans out there or people who have an interest in nrl during this time off um you know a lot of players have their own interests and you know um like to do various things but what would be the sort of most common thing that nrl players are doing outside of their sort of structured training and 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 their requirements to keep on, on on top of their game um, physically, yeah. Look, it's uh, it, it obviously a whole different a range of things. I think uh, first and foremost, number one would obviously be the training, uh, ensuring that you know still getting the kilometres in the legs and and the weights as well. Um, pardon me, but then also you know, a lot of the players liked to uh, game. They uh, play games on online and on PlayStation and things like that. Uh, I'm not into gaming, to be honest. I've never I've seen, been. Um, a- Andrew Fafita <laughs> posts a lot of his uh, shoot 'em up game videos. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's that. a big game. He's a big gamer. Uh, Josh Dugan likes it. He plays NBA. Um, but for me, it's more about uh, just like I, I've run my own podcast as well. Yep. So I've been trying to record a few episodes at home in, in uh, my studio, and then also make a few videos on YouTube. Just to try and give a bit of an inside. Uh, look at what my life is like uh, at this current time and also what type of training I'm doing. But for yeah. everyone, I think it's just um, just trying to stay busy, you know, as much as possible. Outside of the NRL being the NRL player's most popular sport, uh, is it fair to say that maybe the NBA, the NFL, the most followed um, sports? Yeah, look, I think so. Um, you know, definitely American sports. A lot of our boys really love their American sport and, I'm no different. I, I love the NFL and I'm in a, in a fantasy competition with uh, some of our boys and also some of the past teammates as well. So, you know, we love our NFL. I know a lot of us love NBA, basketball, you know, American sports. Their, their culture is so different to ours in Australia. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they do things that we try and emulate and we kind of look up to those guys. I think obviously they're on a, a much larger, larger scale than we are, but... Um, you know, still some some phenomenal athletes for sure. You mentioned before that you uh, have an interest in college basketball. Is there a particular college or, or, or school that you follow? Macca is is uh, for the record is a big Duke, Duke guy. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll have to back Macca up there. It's hard to go past Duke. Uh, just <laughs> you will. The, <laughs> the um, yeah, just the history of of Duke, the coach, Coach K. Um, now their program, it's it's uh, absolutely phenomenal. So. Um, yeah, hard to go past them. Yeah. 
Yeah, Chad, I knew I liked you, mate, from the moment we first started speaking to you, buddy. <laughs> um, mate, what about um, Tom Brady going from the Pats to the Chiefs? What, like, how's that landed? What do you think about that amongst the boys that follow the NFL? Yeah, uh, Pats to the Buccaneers. Um, oh, the Bucs, sorry, got to the Chiefs. Sorry. Yeah, it was um, absolutely crazy. Uh, in our little group chat with uh, our fantasy boys, they couldn't believe it. Uh, I remember yeah. I got off the field actually and I weighed Graham. I asked him, I was getting changed and I said, has Tom Brady signed anywhere? And he said, Buccaneers. And I looked at him, I was like, oh my God. And we just couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously yeah. after spending 20 years in the one team, being the you know, greatest ever player, it's it's like Cameron Smith leaving Melbourne and going to, you know... Uh, the Titans. You know, the Titans. <laughs> it's something like that, literally. So yeah, yeah. it's obviously, it's, it's yeah. massive news. Um, but yeah, I'm really keen to see how he goes. Yeah, it'll be awesome if we can see them get back on the field in September, right? I mean, I don't believe too much of what come, was coming out of Trump's mouth, but I'm fingers crossed that they're getting back on the field, right? So Yeah, definitely. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if they do. I was, I was yeah. listening to a Bill Simmons podcast uh, earlier this morning and... He was, he was talking about, you know, what sports could or couldn't conceivably come back. Um, and he was talking sort of uh, the most um, pessimistically about the Major League Baseball. But uh, I was kind of thinking, if there's a sport that encourages social distancing, it's baseball. Only because no one, no one really likes to go watch. And the players are well and truly, they're two square metres apart, except for when you're running bases and trying to steal. But you touch them with a glove. So, you know, maybe baseball is the, like the shining light. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Even even cricket as well. They're, they're, yep. they're the same. Yeah, yeah. The boys have got a fair bit of space out there. Chad, you mentioned the um, the YouTube stuff and and the podcast stuff that you do. Is that what you see your future as after footy, mate? I mean, it, like media content, even in creation and production, or or just kind of doing. Is that is that kind of a general level of interest, or is that just something that you kind of want to get in, into after you finished up playing? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's something I, I I am massively interested in. I I throughout my whole life, I've always been uh, interested in, I guess, video and um, recording and editing. Mm. And I think obviously growing up in the nineties, you know, watching uh, Jackass, you know, as a kid and trying to emulate some of those stunts when I was a younger fella, um, I sort yeah. of got that passion about you know filming and and videography. So um even now as, as i've gotten older i've still got that passion and, and um obviously that's the reason why i started the podcast and and again I'll, I'll take it back to i guess some of the nfl plays in terms of someone who i really enjoy on social media and, and looking at from afar is russell wilson and the way he conducts himself as firstly the quarterback of the seattle seahawks but then what he does off the field uh socially he's very interactive with his fans uh, runs a podcast, um, just creates this little community for himself. But for me, post football, uh, I definitely love to move into something to do with sports. Like I, I don't just love rugby league; I love all sports, and I feel like I've got an idea about all sports as well. So, um, you know, working in sports, talking about sports, uh, is a passion of mine, and, and I'd be silly if, if I didn't chase that. Yeah. Um, so. Coaching aside, so if say if we put a red cross through coaching, um, and you know, obviously, n- never say never. Um, coaching looks like a pretty tough job, and certainly on uh, Sunday nights or after games, not not the job you'd probably want to have some weeks. Um, is there any particular player within the Sharks, and then another one just within the NRL in general, who, in your eyes, would make a really excellent coach in the NRL? 
Yeah, look, that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, currently in our shark squad, probably two that come to mind uh, that really love their footy. Uh, probably, firstly, Wade Graham. He's our captain at the moment. Has a, a great eye for for the game. And then I think also uh, someone like Aaron Woods, who yeah. you know might be you know a bit of a smoky there, but he just absolutely loves yeah. the game. Woodsy. He um, every yeah, time right. we see him, if if we're if there's a game on before us, he's on his phone watching it. Um, he lives and breathes yeah, right. the stuff. And then uh, I think also someone from another team, uh, or actually I'll, I'll even put in um, someone who's retired. I think Michael Lennis uh, would oh, be yes. a great coach. Absolutely. He, um, I, I was lucky enough. I only got to play the one year, 2016 with Mickey Ennis, but I wish I got to play my whole career. I, I learned so much of him off that one year and, and I think just the way he motivated motivated us to play, and you know, he's obviously his detail. And if you listen to him closely on Fox League, you really yeah. understand how he picks apart the game. So definitely, um, yeah, he'd be my second one. I was actually quite surprised um, that he um, was allowed to um, drive into Canberra to to join the Raiders and their stuff. <laughs> Given the, uh, the the story of the Viking clap from the finals, um, <laughs> but in saying that, um, and I've often thought the same thing. Listen to him on Fox; he's a great analyst, and I, I often thought he he was a great on field leader, and um, would make an excellent coach. So no surprising that uh, the Raiders were successful or are successful with him, sort of in in Ricky's ear, um, saying what he says. On that question, mate, just about um, like in general, have you got? Throughout your career, mate, have you got people like Michael Ennis that you just mentioned that have just been standout kind of influences um, on on yourself and the game that you've developed? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, probably the, the biggest one is probably Luke Lewis. And you know, before Louis retired, he was my back rower, and so pretty much we would do everything together. He would he would you know make my tackles for me. He'd be my bodyguard. But then also he was, you know, someone who I looked up to on and off the field. I loved the person who Louis was. He taught me so much about the game and how to be professional. And, and that's why he was able to play so many years in, in the NRL. And that's something that I've really tried to emulate off Louis. And then also, like I touched on Michael Ennis before, and he's someone who, while he's working at Canberra at the moment, who I still touch base with. Like last year, we unfortunately lost five games in a row, which was a really tough period for us middle of the year. And uh, throughout that losing streak, I rang Michael Ennis and um, just had a chat to him and wanted to pick his brain about, you know, what type of stuff he did when, when he'd lost a few games in a row. And he gave me some really good pointers about just trying to bring the boys' focus back onto the small things and making sure that, you know, you do the small things well, um, you know, and then, you know, everything else will come off the back of that. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great that the NRL has a community like that, that, is willing to kind of share that information and, and, you know, it's a competitive environment, but it must be a good part of, of the game to be a part of because, you know, you all experience the same thing at some point in time in your career, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think the, the main thing is that, you know, throughout an NRL career, it's not always going to be, you know, up the top and, and success. There's so many, uh, I guess, lulls and highs and lows. And, and it's important that, well, for me, that you, I always think about uh, the things that I can control and, and, you know, my next job because I can't control what's happened in the past, but all I can control is what, what I do in the future. And that's 
you know, my attitude, my dedication, sacrifice, hard work, um, how I approach my next job, whether that's training, um, you know, or whatever it is, the next game. So, you know, that's, that's, that's what I try and do. Yeah, and, it, and you do touch on there in terms of your, uh, you know, when times are tough and so on. I've always wanted to know in terms of what's your take on the, the aspect of social media and, you know, you get some, I'm sure some loose units on there that try to give you a spray <laughs> or whatever they might want to do. What, what, how do you take that on board? Oh, not that you wouldn't take it on board, but as in, do you stay away from it completely or? And do you have a burner account like Kevin Durant had? <laughs> I don't have a burner account, but maybe, maybe I should. But, um, yeah, It'll look, be a good it release, is... mate. A good release. <laughs> it is, um, you know, quite pre- prevalent at the moment. Obviously, in the world we live in, social media is so, um, you know, easily, uh, you know, reachable to a lot of people. So every single player in the NRL, you know, gets abused online. And that's a fact. Um, yeah, there's times where uh, an NRL player will make a mistake on the field. Someone will pick up their phone, direct message them, you know, just, you know, a ripper of a message. And, you know, that's, I, I've copped my fair share and, and I, I never respond to any negative messages. Um, and also I, I block words on social media as well. So all, all my social media accounts I've blocked, uh, yeah, you know, every swear word you can think of. So, wow. if someone I didn't know you to, could do that. Yeah, so it's a great tool, and, cool. and I've actually urged a lot of our players to do it as well. So, if someone wrote, you know, wanted to swear at me on comments on one of my photos, well, they yeah. would be able to see it, but no one else would be able to see it. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, it's just cool. a little bit of a tool that is pretty cool, but it's also extremely important for our younger younger kids who have just come into first grade that they don't read the comments because Stay away from it. Yeah. one what one week this person will say you've had a really good game and you're the best player ever. But the next week, this same person will say you shit, you suck um, and so on and so on. So, and, and that's um, just, and that's just Streety sending it to you. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can I ask you Streety just on this topic? Um, do you have a burner account and have you been <laughs> abusing Chad after a couple of those five game losing streaks? Because you'd be a dead set chance for that, I reckon. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> what I would say to that, for, for fans that, that do do that, does that just come from a place of uh, frustration as being even a fan? Or or do you think there is, I mean, a, people that, that do generally feel like that because they generally do care for the, the team they support? But you're always going to get a, um, a small section of people that are just clowns and just, just do it just to, you know, just to be annoying or just to intentionally, you know, hurt people, I guess. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think uh, at the end of the day, it, it speaks more about the type of person that they are than the player because, um, you know, there's, there's an amazing quote out there about the man in the arena and, and it's just that a lot of people who will write those messages um have really to be honest have no idea and yeah, yeah. you know so it, it really doesn't matter for someone uh, like myself i've learned to deal with, with with that and i playing rugby league and being in the public eye it's it's kind of a part of it you're going to get abused online um but like i said i can't control what other people write towards me and what they say and what they think of me but what what I can control is how I react and how I react yeah, yeah. is I just don't, I don't react. I don't read the messages. Yeah. Um, 
you know, like I said, it speaks more about them and the type of person I am. So I'm not concerned about that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And that's a good approach, Chad. A lot of athletes will comment about um, the impact some of that rubbish has on, on family members. Is your family family pretty good at coping with that sort of stuff? Do they stay away from it too, mate? Or like it, it'd be hard, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I've been kind of lucky where uh, my family has always been uh, you know, kept out of the, the whole media side of things. But mm. I know of teammates who have had, you know, their families brought into some comments and also obviously some, some racial abuse of my teammates as well, which is just um, not on um, at all. It's mm. been devastating to see some of the effect of that the personal attacks uh, and racism can cause. And, and that's extremely you know, devastating. And, and I would urge all people out there to just, um, you know, back off with that, with that type of stuff because it's just not on, it's not appropriate. I, I find it just really strange that, uh, that people, you know, rugby league has such a diverse cultural background and a lot of our great players c- come from the Polynesian and Indigenous backgrounds. And, you know, each week those players give the same sense of joy uh, to supporters. And then, you know, five minutes later you've got some of those same people turning around and, you know, saying, you know, things that we've just covered that, that aren't, aren't sort of uh, of the positive nature, which is um, no good. I, yeah, fingers crossed that sort of part of the game can be eradicated. Um, it's a bit sad, Streety. People, I, I feel like people, because they, people feel in, on social media like it's, there's a lack of accountability, but they feel also like... Um, they have to say something to get involved for some reason. It's like, a, I don't know if it's a lack of something else in their life that they kind of feel like, um, you know, if I don't comment on this or something like that, then I, you know, what else am I, what else am I doing with myself? But anyway, I just feel like people get involved where necessarily it's not a positive interaction like Chad said, you know, and you've said there, mate. I just think it's a, can be a complete waste of space sometimes. Have the NRL really sort of uh, focused on um, assisting players to kind of, overcome or deal with those sort of you know situations when they arise uh a little bit it's more uh our well-being managers who every single club every single club has one of, of them and and he makes sure that obviously uh you know we're, we're talking to him quite regularly um you know nothing sort of specific about about social media but uh that's something i've sort of tried to take on my on my own about talking to young players about social media because last season uh, one of our young kids, I'm not going to say his name, but he played a really poor game. Uh, he made a lot of errors, bombed us a few tries, and we lost the game. And to be fair, it was, there was we should have won the game. And after the game, he went onto his phone straight away after the coaches talk, and he read the comments on social media. And I saw him, and I walked over to him straight away, and I just said to him, mate, what the hell are you doing? Mm. You stop yeah. that right now. And made sure that mm. he never did that ever again. And then the week after, mm. we played another game and and we won and um he played really well and i went up to him and i said mate you yeah you got you ain't checking social media tonight like you know you're not checking it last week you're not checking it tonight um it's you know it's it's just a part of the game at the moment social media in in 2020 yeah yeah pretty good advice you mentioned earlier that um you know this might be a good time for the NRL to consider a couple of sort of, you know, experiments or, or a few changes. So if we put you in the, uh, the boss's chair in, in Greenberg's chair and you were the NRL commissioner. And um, if you had some, um, you know, opportunities to implement a series of changes 
within rugby league with the game itself. What were some of the things that you'd make sort of as a player, some of the things on field that frustrate you that, that you could sort of see could, could be changed in terms of some rules that would uh, improve the game? What are a couple of areas or th- things you'd like to see change? Uh, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, obviously there's been a, a few rules brought in this uh, year with the captain's challenge, which I really like. Uh, firstly, uh, the fact that I am a big American sports fan and the fact that the NFL have their challenges. I really like the fact of the way it works uh, to potentially change the game and have a look. And I think, you know, obviously old traditional people in terms of rugby league will have their say about it all. But um, other than that, probably my only other changes would be uh, maybe that I've changed the refs uh, back down to one ref. Yeah, and just to get a bit more clarity about who you're working with, because a lot of the time yeah. on the field, you know, you get two uh, points of view about who's controlling the game, and you know, I might ask a question to one ref, and then I ask the same question to the other ref, and I get two completely different answers. So that's a little bit tough to get clarity around. Um, Fair to say, uh, the six again in the grand final was a classic example <laughs> of that. A different interpretation. Uh, cl- a classic example, definitely. You know, that way, yeah, you've got one ref. And and look, I understand it. And refs have the toughest decision there is because as players, like, we are so we are so competitive. And I understand mm-hmm. that they're human beings and they're going to make errors as well. So I don't blame the refs. I know that you know, it's, it's just a part of life. But, um, you know, it's just I think it would help them as well, you know, with their decision-making. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a product of the system and not necessarily the, the parts in the system that, uh, that caused that. So I just got a couple of questions for some uh, fans from the show. Um, one of them wants to, wants to know your thoughts on uh, reducing the interchange so that fatigue sets in and smaller players. So that would be beneficial to guys like yourself and Sean Johnson and et cetera. Oh, so well, that allows you to cut loose. You got, can you hear me? Yep. Um, has the game become more predictable since you come into first grade? Yeah, look, the first one in terms of the interchange, I think 10's a good number. Uh, 10 is quite small from obviously 12 and, and you've still really got to uh, work out how you manage your interchange because uh you know there's obviously four on the bench and then they've got to come on some stage and some teams you know use their interchange really well like some teams only have one hooker some teams have an interchange hooker so how you use that hooker utility role changes from team to team so i like 10 i still think there's plenty of space for uh the smaller guys like myself um but if they were maybe to bring it down to eight then i still you know, I think that would be interesting as well. Uh, what was the second one, sorry? Uh, dropping, uh, change the number of players per side from 13 down to 12. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not a fan of that one. Uh, I just think that, you know, the way rugby league's been for over 100 years, I think it's been the greatest game on earth. So, you know, why change it? Yeah, yeah, fair call. Yeah. Um, this is from Greg in Canberra. He wants to know, um, do you wish the refs would police the wrestle in the ruck more to bring Melbourne and the Roosters back to the pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I do. That's why I wish that they would bring it back down to one ref at some stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just thinks it puts more onus on the single ref to, to ref his own game and make his own decisions and, and back himself as well. Yeah. And this one from Michael um, from Melbourne. He asked, do you have a solution to stop teams with a six point or more lead from continually infringing when defending on their line as they know opponents won't take the two? 
Yeah, look, that's a good question. I think maybe, uh, you know, if something that I kind of thought about, if you're defending your line and you give away three penalties in a row, uh, potentially you could lose someone in the bin for five minutes. Uh, mm. it's, you know, it's an, it's an idea. It obviously disadvantage them. I mean, if they're going out there to intentionally give away penalties, you know, then that's obviously yeah. you know, what we don't want as, as fans of the game. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's obvious that 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 definitely happens at times, and you, you're looking, wondering why the ref doesn't, you know, said, oh, you know, well, next penalty someone's going to go, and then penalises, and they don't go. You're like, well, you got to stick to your mm. word, and it, it should be a rule: Th- three penalties on your line within a couple of minutes, and then old oh, mate goes to the bin for five. Yeah. Um, is is five minutes that's sufficient? The point that Chad's making, right? Like yeah. with regards to one, you go back to one referee, and the one referee has the ability to follow through on a decision, yeah. but you might. It might it might be a comment that the the one referee's made that the other one's not prepared to enforce because his mm. tolerance is a bit different because we're all human, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chad, just um, you're a local junior from the Cronulla area, um, so let's just hear a little bit about your early days and from you know growing up in around the Shire, playing junior footy, and then making your way into the Shark system. How, how did all that come about, and were you sort of a, a, a sort of standout footy player from a very young age? Yeah, look, I started playing footy when I was five years old for Yarwara Tigers, the local club in, in the area, and I uh, pretty much fell in love with the game. All of uh, my mates were playing the game, and and uh, I got married a few years ago, and all my groomsmen I'd met through the football club. So I'm uh, very lucky to have some long-term mates. I've you know, been mates for life through rugby league. And, and um, you know, it was just, for me, it was about having fun with my mates as a, as a young at a young age, and then... Uh, it wasn't until I got a little bit older where I started making a few rep teams and in the under-14s, I started making like the Harold Matthews Cup and then went into the SG Ball and uh, the 20s and then New South Wales Cup, reserve grade. And then uh, yeah, I made my debut in 2011 uh, against the yep. Broncos, against Darren Lockyer. And uh, we lost to the Broncos. Uh, they they pumped us. It was uh, <laughs> a bit awry, actually. I found out like two nights before with a game that I was playing and I couldn't sleep for two nights before the game. I remember wow. shaking da- shaking Darren Lockyer's hand after the game, just like looking at him going, oh, look, oh like I couldn't speak. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, was, um, it was it was my whole life when I was a kid. Like, uh, it still is now. You know, I love, I love the game of rugby league. I love everything about it. It's given me so much. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... You were the only local junior from the Cronulla area that came through the Sharks system um, to in that premiership side. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. Actually, I was the only person, uh, the only local junior, and that's something I guess I I'll hold with me for the rest of my life. It's um, something that's pretty special to me. And uh, obviously, living living in the area and growing up in the area, I used to follow the Sharks as a kid, and I used to sit on the family hill with my parents and my mates and wave my Sharks flag and follow the team and then to be out there playing, obviously, firstly for my debut and to be in a position to play the NRL for the Sharks uh, yeah. week in, week out is is massive for myself. And then obviously to win win the grand final, uh, you know, that's why it was extra special for me. Yeah, and does that sort of, um, do you feel like you, you carry sort of a bit of an extra sort of pressure as a result um, of having that sort of, you know, that, that kind of mantle, I guess, um, or, or, or title as being uh, the only... Yeah. Look, I, I don't feel pressure, to be honest. I feel like um, hopefully I can use myself as an example for other kids from the area because uh, at the end of the day, I used to be in their shoes 
you know, I just used to be a kid from the area who loved rugby league and I worked mm. hard and, and um, you know, made the NRL. And I feel like if my story can urge on some younger kids to do the same, uh, potentially, you know, uh, push them in the, the right direction. And if they want to play rugby league, then, you know, that's a massive win for me. Yeah, cool. So if we go to that, that premiership year, the 2016, um, coming into that year, building into the finals, a little bit of a stumble where, you know, the minor premiership was inside and I think uh, maybe dropped two or three games in a row. Um, did it take much to recalibrate uh, to, to, to prepare for that finals? Uh, that was off the back of 15 straight wins, so things were looking pretty good. Yeah, look, uh, I think the fact that we'd won 15 straight, we, we knew we were going to finish in the top four and then I think we lost, uh, might have been two or three games in a row and and then we beat the Roosters and then we lost to Melbourne for the minor premiership. And after that Melbourne game, we were pretty embarrassed uh, that Melbourne you know, played really well and we didn't play well at all. So we're going into the finals after a loss. Uh, our senior players done a tremendous job at at making sure that we were focused. And then after the 26 rounds, moving into the finals, we knew it was a whole different ball game. And we just kind of brought this new, this new energy, this new level, this new hype um, on the confidence and the fact of what we built throughout the season. And, and that's what really we, we, we took into that Canberra game. Yeah. From, from previous seasons, you know, obviously you had a couple of years at the Warriors and you, you joined Cronulla um, back in, was it 2016 was your first year back? That was my first year back, yeah. So with a, a new halves pairing with yourself and Maloney, um, was there is a sense in, in the preseason was like, you know, this is it, this is, we've got all the, all, all the chips in the right places. This is kind of like, this is our window. We, we kind of we have to get it done now. Was there a sense of confidence throughout the whole season that, uh, that you know, premiership was sort of within sight? Yeah, definitely. I think back from the, the, the time when I'd signed back at the Sharks and, and found out that James Maloney had signed as well. And for me, uh, it gave me tingles to um, know the fact that I was be able, to, be able to pair up with James Maloney, who played New South Wales. He'd won competitions before. I knew he was going to help me out massively. And I remember uh, in, in pre-season, we went up to Terrigal on the Central Coast, New South Wales, for a camp. And um, we were training. And then at the end of the session, uh, there's actually a photo of it. I've got it on my phone of... Uh, Jimmy Maloney, myself, Wade and Flano having a chat. And I'll never forget this chat. It was just, um, you know, pretty much driven by Wade uh, and, and Flano on just the fact that it was up to us to drive this team and drive home what we really wanted to do. And, and from that moment on, I was really motivated just to do my job, uh, you know, week in, week out. And then throughout the season, uh, that was pretty much all we, we tried to focus on was just doing our jobs and, and having fun with it. Yeah, um, that first first game of the finals down in Canberra, two verse three. Um, Gow was out to injury; uh, he, he didn't didn't start, um, and I think um, Wade Graham got injured in the first half, and then down twelve nil. So we fought back. It was I think it was twelve six at half time, um, and then the second half you got replaced. So then yeah, we fought back. I love it. This is so good. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I was, I was about to come in and say, can you ask a question there, Streety? Or... <laughs> what, what, what I wanted to say, obviously, from, from a team point of view, it, it was a great, a great moment. But for yourself to, I mean, it's not often that unless a, a half was to get injured that, that there's a, a replacement made. Um, was there just sort of a lingering sense of like a tiny bit of a bit of sweetness about that? Or 
um, you know, was was there a conversation in the sheds afterwards from Flano or other players that were kind of like, you know, we got this, we're, we're, we're a team of, you know, 18 plus blokes or how, how did sort of that sort of situation go immediately after that game? Yeah, look, it was uh, it was a massive game for us. Like you said, we faced a lot of adversity uh, throughout the week. Uh, early on, you know, we lost Wade Graham to concussion. Paul Gallen didn't play. Uh, Kurt Capewell, who only played maybe two NRL games, came on and, and played like 65 minutes. Uh, I remember early on in the game, I was really loud. And, and Louis and I, we just weren't on the same page with a lot of our calls and a lot of our timing. And and uh, we made a number of errors and uh, we went into half times behind but still in reach of, of the Raiders. And then in the second half, it was, it was much the same. Uh, for myself, I made another error, made another error and um, then I got taken off, which I was absolutely filthy about. Um, I walked off uh, and looked up at the box and pretty much slammed my water bottle on the ground. Uh, there's a photo of me sitting on the bench where I don't look too impressed. And, um, I've done that yeah, before, that was, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, um, that was the situation I was in. And then after the, after the game, we obviously won the game. And what was an incredible result for us, really set ourselves up for the final series we did have. And, and after the game, you know, I was still a little bit down. I was disappointed, but also I was happy. So inside I was hurting, but on the outside I was really trying to show the appreciation I had for my teammates and then I um, had a quick chat with Flano in the sheds after uh, but then went home with my wife uh, in our car and then um, my manager rang me and he just asked me how I was feeling and I said look mate uh, to be honest I'm, I'm pissed off um, yeah. and he said mate look this is going to define your career right now what you do mm. from here on in and probably the best what some of the best advice I've ever got throughout my career and this is what he said to me. He said, um, tomorrow morning we had recovery. I said, I want you to walk into recovery, big smile on your face, uh, you know, chest out, shoulders back, uh, go in, do all your normal handshakes you have with all the boys, laugh, joke around, carry on, um, just be fun, happy, normal self. So I did that. I walked into recovery. I remember seeing Ben Barber, did my handshake with Ben Barber, carried on, had a bit of a laugh. Uh, I just was being my normal self. Because I didn't want to walk in there and, and be down and dopey and, and the boys would be yeah. like, oh, my God, oh, look, look at him, you know what I mean? So I didn't want to be like that. It wasn't about me. It was about the team. And then yeah. the next day, the first um, our first day back at the facility at training, I walked into the Flano's office and um, nice and early, it was about 6.30 in the morning, and um, I sat down at his desk and um, had a chat to him. And the first thing I said to him was I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, I can guarantee you that what happened last night will never, ever happen again. And I said that with him with such conviction um, and belief in myself about what I was going to do. And, and we chatted it out. He told me the reasons about what happened. And I obviously said to him that I didn't like it. And he said, mate, it was the best for the team. And I understood the situation. And he said to me, you're our guy. You're our halfback. You've been our halfback all year. You've, you, you had you know one bad half of football. And I, and I wanted to make a decision to change things up. And he said, mate, don't worry about it. Like, you're our guy. So, for me, that was massive. And, um, you know, I had two weeks to prepare for a big <laughs> Cowboys game. I remember uh, the, all, the, all the footy shows and the articles were, were two weeks of constant talk about what's going to happen with the Sharks halfback situation. Um, I, I was at the prelim and I went to the grand final as well. But um, that, that game versus the Cowboys in the prelim was probably, for, for, personally, the most dominant sort of Sharks game I reckon I've ever seen in terms of just from, from minute one to minute 80, just the, the, the sort of desire and, and the, the togetherness um, from all sort of 18 players or 17 that were on the, 
the 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 played, um, and then was it sort of um, after you you know the Cowboys probably scored a couple of late ones, but the game was well and truly over after about six sixty minutes. Um, in the sheds afterwards, um, was there sort of you know a sense of relief or, or were there or you know like uh, let's not let up? What was sort of the talk from leaders like Gal and Ennis and Maloney afterwards? Yeah, look, it was a uh, obviously a massive game for myself. Obviously, coming off the last game and what happened, and yeah, there's this old saying, in, in that you're only as good as your last game. And for me, obviously, I, I'd had a poor game, so I really wanted to play well, and and I was really actually proud of myself the way I prepared for the game. I switched off, you know, all the TV, all the news articles. I didn't want to read any of it. I didn't want to, uh, you know, have any knowledge of that because I knew they'd be talking about me and what would happen. And I only just recently found out that uh, Paul Green had sort of started you know, questioning me about uh, would I be, you know, playing and, and what would happen. So, uh, you know, this is four years later that I, I kind of saw that article. But, um, yeah. yeah, look, for me, it was just about focusing on the things that I could control. That was my preparation. And then, um, you know, I was actually – up played probably one of the best games of my whole life. I scored a try. I put Louis over Jonathan Thurston for another try. I kicked really well. Yep. Um, just did my job to the best of my ability. And there's a photo, another photo I've got of myself, uh, you know, down on one knee after the game, um, which is still, you know, really gets me emotional when I see it because of, of how proud I was of myself, the way I bounced back. Um, and then just the fact that we were in the grand final, like the Sharks are in the grand final and, uh, we spoke about it in the sheds after the game. Like you said, all of our leaders, Ennis, Gallen, Lewis, Hyington, we were just making sure that we all stayed focused uh, on the job at hand and making sure that we enjoyed the week that was to come. But, you know, the job wasn't done yet. Yeah, so grand final week obviously isn't something to be taken for granted for any player because, as you mentioned earlier in the show, that, you know, things can change quickly in, in, in a player's career. Were you able to sort of enjoy that process and soak up some, some of the fanfare and, and I guess the excitement um, in the show? Yeah, massively. I think that was probably the, the best thing about it was the fact that, you know, everywhere we went, like it was just fans everywhere. Like there was houses painted, fences, cafes, uh, streamers down That's the mall cool. in Cronulla. There was, um, you know, color, black, white and blue everywhere. So we really soaked it up with the fans. Everyone had flags hanging out of their cars. Um, and they were a part of it just as much as we were. It was for them and our fans who had waited so long for a premiership and for success uh, as well. So it was yeah. really, really cool to, to share it with them. And then um, I know we're, we're a bit short of time at the moment, but um, obviously, so we got the lead up. Um, game day. How, how did sort of, you know, you, you handle the sort of the, 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 the waking up in the morning and think, man, this is going to be like the... Biggest game of my life tonight. You know, was it was it, was it hard to t- to temper your emotions, or did you was it you know did you go for a coffee with the boys beforehand, or what was sort of the lead up to the game, and then obviously walking out onto the field for that national anthem. Yeah, look, I remember being really relaxed. Actually, uh, I woke up and um, did my normal routine. I'd have breakfast, went down for a swim, uh, came home, just chewed out on the couch. I remember I had a an afternoon nap, a bit of a lay down. Um, obviously, the game's not till eight thirty, so it's it's quite late, but um, just try to do my usual routine, game day routine. I was, you know, pretty relaxed. I remember getting on the bus and seeing the other boys, and they were all smiling and laughing and just having a good time. And um, you know, seeing Michael Lennis, and he was just super focused. Uh, mm-hmm. So everyone sort of, you know, had their different different ways of uh, 
how they prepared. And then when we ran out onto the field, I just remember the roar and how loud it was. It was oh, just, yeah, it was good. They'd set, yeah, <laughs> 70,000 black, white, and blue Sharks fans and then 10,000 Melbourne Storm fans. So, yeah, we outnumbered them massively. And just after we ran out, I remember looking at all the other boys and we were just smiling. Oh, wow, this is incredible. This is definitely something both you and I had never seen before. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty special to be there. So, Settle um, down, mate. You're in the stands. You weren't running out. Come I wasn't on. running out, but it was... It was I, mean, I mean, I guess as a lifelong Sharks fan to, you know, we... we we'd, Never been I had a crowd with that many supporters um, supporting our team, and to have seventy thousand flags waving when you're up in the stands was a, was a pretty awesome sight. Um, we got off to a pretty Bruce, good start. Was it a normal day for you, mate? Did you just get up and do your normal pre-game routine, mate? Or were, you, were you a bit too <laughs> what excited? I, what I did was uh, the wife and I we dropped the kids off at the mother-in-law's place. We jumped on a train and um, tra- trained uh, we it down. Got, and- we got- Time restrictions, sweetie. Yeah, yeah. The closer we got to Sydney, the more the more Sharks fans were were, were coming out, so it was good. Um, so the first seventy nine minutes, um, you know, we we hit back. Chambers scored the try. Was there a, sort of a, a fleeting moment where, you, after Melbourne scored and took the lead, you thought, "No, this can't happen to us. We've come too far." Uh, yeah. Look, to be honest, there wasn't. I um, just the confidence and the way we played all season. I thought we could win any game at any stage, and. After Chambers scored, I still thought we could come back and win. And when Mickey Ennis put Fafita over, there was still about 10 or 11 minutes to go to the end of the game. And that's when we spoke about really backing our defence. We'd won a lot of games on our defence throughout the whole year. And this was a chance for us to prove that we were the best team in the competition. So um, our motto throughout the training and defensive work was don't stop moving. And, you know, when you replay that, that last minute, you can see quite clearly the hustle from all of our team Uh, and you can see our whole right edge on the left side of the field chasing and then everyone chasing back the other side of the field and then you know Melbourne's passed back the other way and then Ricky Latelli makes that tackle and then you know she's all history but we did this drill where it was 13 attackers on seven defenders so obviously you're outnumbered and we did it all year Flano and Steve Price and and that was our motto, don't stop moving. So defensively, you know, we knew we had to work hard for each other. Yeah, I guess that's a good lesson for the kids and anyone sort of, uh, you know, training to uh, put the work in and then you and then you get your results. And I know, I know personally speaking, being at the game, that last minute felt like an hour. Um, that, that kick went into touch and they had to scrum on the 10 or 20 metre line. Um, but from where I was sitting, we had a diagonal down to the, the end that Melbourne running at. And then that five on zero overlap opened up. And then I think, Collectively, 20,000 people gasped and swore at the same time and screaming, no, no, no. And then, uh, and then the ball bounced and they cut it back the other way and then, and then we win. Um, afterwards, obviously, celebrations would have been uh, pretty massive. Who was the uh, MVP of the party stakes for the Sharks afterwards? <laughs> Mate, to be honest, uh, everyone was. Uh, Jimmy Maloney was, was all time. He sort of instigated the crowd surfing at Northeast um, <laughs> scene. It was uh, uh, unbelievable. But um, he did the shoot out uh, yeah. the stands from the ET stands. Was it <laughs> him that did the shoot? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes, he did the shoot at the stands. We uh, were pretty much out every single night. It was, um, again, an amazing experience. And just to be able to share again with all the people, all the Sharks fans. But um, it was. Yeah, probably, if I had to nail it down to one person, it was probably Jimmy Maloney. I'm not surprised. (laughs) 
Excellent. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's probably the end of our show. We realise you've got a young family to, to get to. So we want to unreservedly thank you um, for, for giving your time up um, and for coming on the show. It, it means a lot to us to, to have a chat to a high-profile professional athlete um, and, and to get some insights about the current state of the NRL. Um, any, anything quickly you want to say? Anything you want to plug your own podcast? Now, um, by all means. <laughs> yeah, look, no worries, boys. I really uh, appreciate the chance to, to come on. And, and um, you guys seem like you've got a really good setup and, and uh, some, really, some really good knowledge about the whole sport. So I um, appreciate the opportunity. If, everyone, if anyone does want to suss out my podcast, you can check it out at um, Talk of the Town. I'm um, all podcast apps, but um, I appreciate it, boys. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Yeah, awesome. And fingers crossed we get the footy back Thanks, sooner rather than later. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. We'll catch you later. Good stuff. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate Cheers. it. Too, too easy, boys. Take care. See ya. Yeah, stay safe, mate. You too. Up, up, Cronulla. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>